podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. February, everyone. Yes. Hello. Welcome along to Steve Bloomer's watching the Derby County podcast, where once again, we just want this cursed month to be over because it's been a bruising couple of weeks on the road for the Rams, a second consecutive damaging away defeat to a playoff rival, meaning we are very much looking down rather than up for the time being, at least. Uh, Whatever happened to the resilient Rams who were 15 unbeaten just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, joining me, Chris Parsons, to cast a critical eye over Derby's recent performances are Richard Kutcher. Hello, mate. Hello. One more game in February, Chris. And it's a sneak, <laughs> sneaking in there on 28th of February, which is an absolute, uh, yeah, absolute killer. If only we had a Wednesday night game, because I think, yeah, it would change everything. And uh, Tom Martin's back. Hi, mate. How are you? Very good. It's an absolute pleasure to be back. It's been well over a month since I've done a podcast, so uh, delighted to be back in the uh, hot seat. And what a result to be back for. And fresh from an eye-opening trip to Oakwell is uh, Blake Fallows as well. Is it days like today, mate, where you uh, regret giving up drinking? <laughs> I just had, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had a few moments since I've, uh, I've, I've seen the light and become teetotal. And on the journey home today, I was, I was very close to stopping at my local and just, yeah. But no, you've got to stay strong because the good times are coming back. <laughs> you, who are you trying to convince there, mate? Um, but you know, fair play to you for sticking with it in these particularly uh, up and down times for the Rams. Uh, yeah, a dismal results in uh, in South Yorkshire against Barnsley a 4-1 defeat in uh, an odd game where we seem to be out fought I mean Paul Warren even admitted in his post-match that we got bullied that's the word he used but we also seem to create the better chances at the same time uh, Jason Knight's volley Tom Barkhausen hitting the bar Lewis Dobbin missing from close range uh, I want to say it was Jason Knight again blazing over from a promising position in the second half Mendes Lang putting in, I counted four crosses that we should have done a lot more with. I mean, and how many chances like that did did Barnsley create, really? We all watched the highlights again just before we came on to the recording. And literally, it's only the two-minute version, but the only four attacks that were shown for Barnsley were their four goals. But look, it's only the scoreline that matters. And it's clearly going to go down as a big opportunity missed. What with uh, second place Plymouth shipping five at Peterborough today and a seventh place Wickham also losing. Could losing Gareth Ainsworth be a bit of a stroke of luck in Derby's favour in the run-in? But look, boys, I'm going to cut to the chase. Tom, you first. Bit of a wobble, Derby, you're on now, away from home. Will we still finish in the top six? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Got no doubt about us finishing in the top six. Um, I think the, the players are good enough and I have faith in Paul Warren. Um, all teams go through a wobble. We've had a fantastic run since, uh, what, November time. And I just think that now it's time to stick together and, and time to make sure that this team bounces back. There's there's a lot of fixtures there which are very, very favourable and Derby have been consistent against those. It's automatics for me is now out because we can't beat the teams in and around us and uh, on a consistent level. Too many sort of 
four draws or a score draw, sorry, or 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 one nil defeat uh, will cost us. And then a, a defeat like that today by Barnsley for me that that puts spells the end to the automatic pr- promotion hopes. Yeah, Kutch, I guess it's not the fact that we that we lost a playoff rival because we are still in the top six for now. I think it's what four points clear of of Wickham. Most people, I'll come on to this, are still pretty confident we will finish in the playoffs. But it's days like today that make you wonder and make you realise that the playoffs are going to be probably a lot closer and tenser and tightly fought than we maybe anticipated six weeks ago, aren't they? Yeah, I think I said a couple of weeks ago that the the, the division, particularly kind of a top seven of that division, maybe even Shrewsbury have had some good results and Peterborough obviously in a bit of uh, recovery under Darren Ferguson, maybe down to eighth or ninth. The division has improved quite a bit throughout the season. Obviously, Derby improved greatly over the kind of three months before February. And everyone else has improved, though, in in that in that top as well. Yeah, I think what worries me is that we got out fought at Wickham and we got out fought at Barnsley, and you know it's quite possible we could be playing one of those over two legs uh, in the playoffs. Top two probably is out of reach. You know, we we do play Plymouth. We have got that game in hand on them. If we beat them, who knows that could turn the season around again. If we if it needs to be turned around, what makes it unlikely, as Tom said, is that there's three other teams between us and Plymouth, and you know, do, would you back us to get? considerably more points than all of those kind of five teams, four teams above us, excluding Sheffield Wednesday. But I'd I, I be confident we finish in the top six. I think it would be a real disappointment if we didn't do it now, considering the position we got ourselves in. And I think there's enough quality and, and you know uh, expertise in the management to, to turn it around. I don't think we're not in a crisis. To turn it around sounds like we're in a crisis. We're not in a crisis. It's two tough away games we lost in the last month. As you said, we are going to lose games. You know, we're not, we weren't going to go invincible until the, the, the end of the season. Blake, what was it like in your way in today? How would you describe the mood, apart from one of being quite shocked and stunned, I imagine? It, it was a weird it was a weird atmosphere. I was just chatting to Kutch before we come on about it. And when you get the, the bigger crowds and it doesn't go according to plan or how people envision it may go, sometimes it works against you. If you, if you go one and up and you've got 5,000 behind that goal, it's it's incredible, isn't it? And and sometimes if you've got the, the whole end in it, it doesn't quite work out. It went quite flat quite early. And if you compare it to, to some of the, the games, Port Vale, MK Dons, where we've we've taken those massive followings and they were and it was noisy throughout, today was a little bit flat compared to that. And it and I, I certainly saw once we were were two 0 down, um, a few instances of Derby fans falling out with each other and and kind of arguments going on. So I think it, it kind of going behind killed the atmosphere slightly. I don't think that affected. Um, how they played on the pitch at all, but it was a bit of a weird atmosphere today. With regard to, to top six and the question before that, I think Kutch has hit the nail on the head that we're not, it's not a crisis yet. It's a bit of a mini wobble, isn't it? I think it's, you've played two teams around you, been out fought, which is the, the most disappointing thing when you look at it. And I think it's interesting what Corey Smith said that maybe Wickham looked at how they uh, combated Derby and maybe copied that slightly and, and really came at Derby in that way. And I think that's, that's spot on that they've seen a weakness they've seen a chink in the armor of that that unbeaten side and teams are going to start exploiting that so Derby have got to really focus on those those couple of home games now coming up in the home games they've got and tough tough away trips to Peterborough Plymouth so I still think we'll be top six but I think they've got to put an end to this kind of mini wobble as soon as they can 
you can twist statistics any way you want, really. Um, Derby have conceded 14 goals in 16 games, which is a pretty impressive statistic. In the first eight of those 16 games, we conceded two. In the last eight, we've conceded 12, including obviously seven in, I think, our last two away games, which is which obviously isn't good enough. And as, as Blake says, I, I'm not surprised that the away end went quiet quite early on and then then perhaps pretty angry and pretty frustrated given the fact of the the nature of the goals that we're conceding. It's not like Barnsley scored from 30 yards and you go, fair play, nothing you can do. And it's not like they scored a, a really well-worked goal at any real point. Maybe the second goal was a nicely worked goal, but there were defensive fa- failings in that one as well. Um, and when you defend that badly, you deserve to lose football games and it's frustrating and it's annoying. But the, some of the, the nature of some of the goals today are absolutely awful and um, just ridiculous. So... Paul Warren's got a lot of job, a lot of work to get onto the training ground and like, try and cut those mistakes out because it's not the first time it's happened in the last sort of four or five games where we've conceded sloppy goals. Um, and we need to cut those out and go back to being hard to beat. And if we do that, we'll have absolutely no problem with being top six. And if we'd have continued to do that, then we would have uh, be, definitely been challenging for top two. But I think, as I said earlier, I think that's out the, out the window now. Yeah, you've, you've pretty much um, alluded to it there that Corey Smith, uh, as well as talking about how Barnsley effectively took Wickham's game plan he said that basically they didn't really create a chance and that we gifted the goals to them I think uh, definitely the first to an extent the second and maybe less so the third but obviously the fourth which we put on a plate for for ex-ram Luke Thomas but I mean the first one was you know the horrendous calamitous derby of old wasn't it there's so much to unpack from that complete shambles at the back in that one I think Fozzie's your main perpetrator there which is a big shame because he has been really solid and has stepped up this season but it's his ball that gets cut out and when he gets back to him he sort of sticks a leg out and pokes it back across the derby box uh, and then it's somehow bundled across before it it crosses the line so (laughs) how do you really sum up those those four goals, Kutch, and which one was the one which just made you have your head in your hands the most? It's hard to, you know, how bad my memory is. It's hard to identify which one was which as well. I think that 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 fuzzy one where it went back across goal uh, and we had a couple of chances to clear it and it just fell. It was that kind of debate about whether it was offside or not, which I don't quite understand. I don't know why the linesman put his flag up, uh, to be honest, and then put it down again. And it was just really odd. They were all bad and the warning signs were there. And there was times after, I think it was after, I think it was at 1-0, when Wildsmith had a, a a kick closed down, then it almost looped into the into the back of the net because he just the back pass to him was a bit slow and soft, and he kind of definitely took too long to get there and and to play it, and it just felt like it felt like they were kind of trying to play Liam Rossini ball at the back. They were definitely playing. They seemed to be trying to play more at the back than I have seen them recently. And when Barnsley were pressing them so effectively with two strikers high up the pitch, who I thought Cashin and forced Fozzie struggled to deal with when they had the ball. I thought all, all round, I just thought it was a terrible day for the back four, both on the ball and defensively. And it just seemed like they were massively overplaying within their own penalty box. We never see, we never see Paul Warren's Derby do that, like passing it across the, the box and then giving away chances and then not getting the second ball. And they were all, they're all awful. It was, it was, I hope, I don't know what it was like watching it in person, it, you know, behind that goal, particularly that three of those goals happened right in front of you, Blake. But just watching it on, on TV was, you know, watching it through your hands. Part of it, Blake, is that old adage and, you know, of, of what was it Stephen Claren used to say of like warriors and wizards, you know, like the back four not being protected well enough, no one sticking a foot in and dropping on second balls, winning 50-50s, getting around Barnsley's midfielders to cut out 
attacking chances. And I don't know, you really don't want to pin blame on, on players, but like certainly Conor Harrahan in a couple of those goals, Barnsley second, a decent finish, but he's, it's so easy that Phillips just drops a shoulder once, picks up a space. Harrahan does not know where he is, even though he's tracking him a few seconds before and he's got, what, six yards of clear space to pick out the bottom corner, which you'd expect most half-decent League One players to do in that position. And I think the third goal as well, when Devant Cole gets on the end of it, I think it's oh, it's a bit of a mess again in the middle, but Harrahan sort of is around there and is just a bit pretty statuesque in the middle and not cutting out that bouncing ball. So we, we didn't have the players in there today to protect the back four and and yeah they're not in there to do that job but we got found out in that sense today didn't we yeah definitely Uh, i think it showed with the substitution of bringing white off and putting jason knight back into midfield when he was on the yellow card which is a risk in itself and i thought at the time wow that's that's not what i expected but i think that showed that he just needed some energy in there and that was really lacking, I think. And it's the same discussion we had a few weeks ago when I when I was first on that since Bird's not been in that midfield, what is the the magic? I think he's it's his struggle to find that that formula to to get back to where we were when we were dominant and unbeaten. <laughs> For me, I'm not one, and and I'm very vocal that I I support Warm Ball and I, I love Paul Warren. I think you've got to keep your best players on, and Harvey White is looks like a a great footballer he's maybe someone that can carve something out from nothing i was i was disappointed today with the midfield and i think even in the second half going forward defensively obviously the they were poor at, at times but going forward just the amount of times they you you get you break through into the final third and just picking that wrong pass out or just keep holding on to it for a little bit too long or there's it's just decisions and i don't know if that comes with with a little bit of confidence or a little bit of pressure on you that you are three three one down away and you've got to pick that killer pass and you're maybe overthinking it and you're not playing with that three uh, that freedom sorry that that you would be if you were three and up at home that we have been and you can you can play those balls but the midfield's becoming a little bit of a worry without Max Bird for me. Yeah, I can see that what you mean, uh, Blake, about Max Bird being missing there, and I think he really sits in that sort of base of the the midfield to to try and like break things up, and he supports the defense quite well. And I think Howham maybe didn't do that as well. But Chris, I think your criticisms are maybe a bit too harsh. In my opinion, the first goal um, is appalling from Forsyth. Let's put it put it the blame pretty much squarely at his feet. Um, I actually think the reason why the, the linesman gives it offside is because Devante Cole is offside. However, I think the ball comes off um, Louis Sibley. If, when you look at back at it, it, I don't think it's the Barnsley player that plays it. And I think it comes off Sibley and bounces back into the middle. And that's that's why the goal was then given. Um, and for the second goal, like yes, Howard's tracking him. But actually, you've got to give credit to Phillips because he's running into the box, um, looking to, to get in there, maybe into the between the penalty spot and the six-yard box. And then he stops and he pulls off like three or four paces. And he, give him credit, mate. He curls a really nice finish into the back of the net. Um, I think that's a t- that's the best goal of the lot. But actually, it comes before then. The overload is on Sibley because Sibley, I think, for me, is a little bit too far up. Um, and as a result, the uh, Barnsley forward runs in behind him. And the crossfield pass just goes over Sibley's head. As a fullback, you want to be sticking in there um, and not pushing up too far because we're, we're out of possession. And as a result, there's that little bit of space. Um, Sibley's caught out. He's then doubled up on. The ball goes back in. Nice bit of movement. Uh, and yes, Howard could potentially close him down, but he doesn't. And um, and it's a good finish. And the third one, I don't think it's Howard. I actually think it's Cashin that misses the ball. 
ball in the middle of the penalty area and it, ball, it then falls to, to Devante Cole again and he scores. I mean, all three are, are questionable defending, but the first and third are really, really poor in that first half and that killed the game. The fourth goal we don't even want to talk about is appalling. So, um, so yeah, we'll move on from that one. I think um, I just I mentioned them before, but I thought Cole and Norwood were just a real handful, and I give credit credit to them. And I think they played with such high energy as a two. I just look at that two and go, is that actually the kind of two that Warren wants us to have? You know, probably next season if he can get hold of those kinds of players because they were a real handful. For it's it's rare that I feel Cashin is struggling, and I felt he definitely did struggle. You know, in that battle, we got out-muscled numerous times. They got round the side of him. You know, Fozzie didn't have a great game either. Um, I just thought Norwood and Cole did a real job. And it's quite telling. They both got substituted on 73rd minute, 73rd minute together. I imagine because they were absolute gas because they absolutely worked their socks off. And even when it was 3-1, Barnsley didn't, they didn't sit super deep. They kept the press. They weren't pressing super high up like they were in the first half, but they weren't completely sitting back and just letting Derby come, come again. Like the, the front two supported by the wingers were really pressing and really making life hard for all the Derby players on that pitch throughout the whole game. I thought we maybe just, you know, maybe we're not quite as fit as we, as we thought we were, or maybe Barnsley are super fit. Cause I, I just thought they were the most energetic team I've, I've seen this season, but more more so than Wickham for sure. Yeah, I guess that's a disappointment because, you know, we've been told by several people that, you know, our oh, Warns Derby will be the fittest team in the league. You won't have to worry about physically competing with teams. And yeah, it seems that a few months in, we are still struggling in that regard. But look, we're not entirely, as we've said, it's not a crisis, it's a mini wobble. And most people seem to be seeing it that way, uh, as we did put this one out on Twitter. Will Derby finish in the top six? And uh, from the uh, the few hundred votes that we came that came in in uh, albeit only a couple of hours, eighty percent eight zero said yes, Derby will finish in the playoffs, and only twenty percent said no. So uh, yeah, more on the potential changes for the next two games in the second half. But Tom, here's a bit of a random one on a completely different tangent. If I was to say in the name to you, Lillian Martin. Does that bring back any memories for you as a Derby County fan? Uh, yes, it does. It wasn't he signed at the same time as Francois Grenet in that uh, John Gregory January sort of time, or was it a little bit before then? Perhaps he was a fullback, like Pierre de Croix and Savagno and those guys. Yeah, he yeah. had a good game against Arsenal and then was atrocious for the rest of it. Well, the, the reason I mention it is because the uh, latest interview on a Steve Bloomer's Washing Patreon is with Craig Burley who uh, spent four years at the club from 1999 till 2003. Uh, there's some great stuff from him in the in the chat that he had to us recently and loads of great tales about Jim Smith, uh, life under the Bold Eagle at Pride Park. And he gave us some great stories about him and including one where he described Jim's dismay after uh, watching <laughs> Lillian Martin in one of his first games after he got uh, completely roasted by a Blackburn Rovers winger in a 5-2 defeat in uh, 2000 or 2001. So here's a little sneak peek of that interview. The Lily Martin one was funny. He came on loan to Derby via recommendation, I think from my old Scotland teammate, John Collins, it might have been. But it was evident from the offset that he wasn't going to be the answer. And he got absolutely roasted uh, in that midweek game at Pride Park against Blackburn, it could have been Kilban, it could have been Damien Duff. Whoever it was, was wearing a blue and white striped shirt and they were absolutely tearing him a new one. And we were getting hammered. 
And apparently, even though he was on loan, he'd bought a house up in sort of Michelover or up that way. And Jim turned in one of Jim's... I mean, so I, some of the times I wish I'd actually been on the bench to listen to Jim. You know, it was so much fun. And Jim, Jim turned as Lily Martin got absolutely beasted for about the 12th time in the first half down that left-hand side, down his right-back position. Jim turned to Neil Sellett and said, Sell, can you believe he's bought a fucking house? And I was absolutely pissing myself at that point because what Jim meant was, he's bought a house, he thinks he's staying. There is no way he's staying at this club any longer, but just, just one or two of the great lines that, that Jim used to come out with. So yeah, that's Craig Burley in our latest Patreon bonus episode. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Steve Bloomers washing to hear the full interview there. Uh, this month, you can also win a fantastic Derby County cartoon history print, which we're giving away to two new or existing signups, two new existing patrons. And you'll also get one of our welcome packs, of course, extra benefits. You can listen back to our whole back catalogue of bonus podcasts and uh, you'll help keep Steve Bloomers washing going. Russell checking what's on. In the box. It's a lovely ball. Dawkins! Five! What an impudent finish from the Jamaican international. Backheeled it in. It's raining goals on the banks of the Thames. Hi there, we county fans. I'm Branko Struper. Hi, I'm Paolo Wanchop. Hi, I'm Mart Poom. And you are listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Blake, you haven't heard that enough times to stop finding it funny yet, have you? Still gets a laugh from you every time that. <laughs> uh, they just sound like they're being held hostage. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they, I think Mark Poon was by Tom and Kutch as they just quizzed him for hours about goalkeeping, but that's a different story. Look, two home games next. Two on paper winnable home games, I would say, for Derby to get back to winning ways, uh, addressed a mini wobble against Cheltenham and Shrewsbury before that trip to Plymouth, that daunting trip to the Southwest. But I mean, look, you know, Shrewsbury won't be a won't be a, an absolute formality. Like they're eighth in the away form table. They've won more games away from home than we have. And they're only, what, I think five or six points below Derby in the table at the moment. So look, it's going to be tricky. And I guess, Blake, there's a temptation after a result like the one at Barnsley this weekend to completely change things up. I should have looked up what we did after Wickham, but I, I didn't manage to, to find out how much we changed the team. But I guess there's decisions that Warren has to make. Does does Fozzie come out? Does Curtis Davis come in? Does James Collins come in from the bench to start up, up front again? Maybe give Didsy a rest, perhaps? I don't know. But, you know, he has scored 14 and is the third top scorer in League One. So I guess the answer to that is probably no. Or even give someone like Mendes Langerest, who is playing week in, week out at the moment. Look, do you make any do you think Warren will make any changes for Tuesday against Cheltenham? Um on the back four, I think the last couple of weeks it's the first time a makeshift back four has started to look like a makeshift back four. What really struck me today was when the the goals were going in as as ridiculous as they were to concede, you really lack that leadership, that one person who was standing up and going, come on and getting rounding the troops up, having a talking to the players standing up and saying, right, let's be counted here. And I think from the stands anyway, I'm not on the pitch, so I can't say whether this is, but this is how it comes across that you're missing that leader out there. And and Curtis Davis, 
is that leader. There seems to be a reason that he's not played him or not bringing him on. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know how well Curtis Davis is doing in training or how fit he is or how confident uh, Paul Warren is in him. But for me, I'd like to see Curtis Davis back in there just for a bit of security, a bit of leadership in there. I know he, when when Davis has played this season, he hasn't looked as as assured, uh, in my opinion, as he as he has in as he was last season, as as in previous seasons. But I think you've got to change it and put Davis in there just for the, a little bit of security and leadership. And I, and this isn't just uh, at Craig Forsyth because I think Cashin hasn't been at his best for a, a, a couple of games as well. So maybe putting a centre half next to a, a short centre half next to Cashin might help his game as well. The only other thing would be maybe. And I never thought I'd say this a couple of months ago. Have a look at resting Mendes Lang. I don't know what it is. I know teams tend to double up on him, and especially Wickham did, and they did again today. And he's he's targeted and doubled up on, so he doesn't get as as much of the ball as he needs to affect a game. He still, as you said earlier, put those brilliant balls into the box today, but he's not affecting games as much as he should. And I think it's a time for those senior pros, the the Mendes Langs, the Fozzes. They've got to be standing up McGoldricks. They, they're the ones now who have to stand up around those young lads and be counted, I think. Coach, I mean, as good as Forsyth has been this season, let's not forget that he is a fill-in centre-back. He's not a centre-back by trade. Look, it wouldn't be a ridiculous decision to bring Curtis Davis right back in, would it? Uh, no, not at all. And I think I think Blake's right that Davis has maybe looked a bit off the pace when he has come in, but he came in... Uh, during the middle of our good run when I think Cashin was out uh, with the suspension and, and he took a couple of games to get going, but uh, he played in the Port Vale game and, and was brilliant in that game, I seem to remember. And I think Davis probably just needs a few games to get up to speed and maybe, look, Shrewsbury won't be an easy game. They, they're on some good form. They've beaten some good teams in the last month or so and they're, I'd fancy them more than Wickham to try and push into the top six. So it's important we beat Shrewsbury, but maybe Cheltenham at home, Shrewsbury at home could be a good chance to put Curtis Davis in the team, get him up to speed, you know, and, and take him to Plymouth as well to play in that away game, which is crucial. So I, I, I'd be up for having Davis back in. It also gives you the option of playing Craig Forsyth at left back because, you know, Sibley, I think, is still trying to get up to speed again from after returning from being out. He hasn't been quite as good as he was a month or so ago, as a few players are. So it gives you another option at left back in Craig Forsyth. It gives you a bit more height in the team as well if you can get Davis and Forsyth and Cash into the same back four. So there's options there. I think we're relatively well stopped for options at the back, but it is a makeshift back four. And as Tom outlined, the statistics kind of tell the story that that back line is creaking a bit. Uh, so maybe it is time to to change it up. I wouldn't be against Mendes Lamb being rested. I'm surprised he's played as much as he has recently because you know when you're playing Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, as we've got coming up, I think you'd like to see him maybe get taken out of the team. I didn't think he had a bad game. I just thought that all of the front three or four today, when we did get the ball, particularly in the first half going forward, they all looked isolated. Like Mendes Lamb picked up on the right wing and there was four players around him. They, they weren't all around him close in, but he was he, he could see that he had three men to beat and and it wasn't even a man supporting. I just felt whenever we, I never thought we looked I never thought we looked that threatening going forward today at all in the in the first half even, even though we created chances because there was no interplay. That it was very rushed when we did get into the final third. It was just kind of come and get a ball in, that was it. There was nothing else going on. And yes, wouldn't mind seeing Springett giving a chance, maybe against Cheltenham. Dobbin could start again. There's options there. And if you played Forsyth at left back, maybe Sibley can get a run further up the pitch as well. So I probably would bring Curtis Davis back outside of that. I think he's just got to, he's just got to assess each player, particularly older players, if they're fit enough to play every week. Tom, Paul Warren talks about two injured players 
in the week. One of them is Max Bird, who we've talked about before, who he said was a couple of weeks away. So he is likely to miss Cheltenham and Shrewsbury and Plymouth and maybe back for Oxford away on March the 11th. Um, the other one is James Chester, who came in the summer with a good reputation and loads of experience, but has only played for Derby six times this season. Hasn't looked terrible in those six times, but hasn't kicked a ball for the Rams since the end of October. Um, but Warren said he's only a couple of weeks away, one to three weeks. And um, I know Kutch, me and you were at Cambridge away, Warren's first game when I thought Chester looked really good, but he only really played a handful of times after that before he had um, sort of on and off injury problems. Like, is he part of the solution here? Like, could he have a part to play in this to try and help arrest this little dip in form? Uh, yeah, quite possibly. Um, either him or Davis or, or even Stearman. I, I'm, I'm still, as Blake alluded to, that it's a makeshift back, back four and playing a winger at left back and a centre midfielder at right back and then a left back at centre back, we're, we're finally sort of creaking and it's surprising it's taken this long. They've done so well uh, for such a long sort of time. And I think there's no harm in if Chester's fit, get him in there. For me, I would be putting Davis in there on Tuesday night, um, big sort of physical and also a leader. Um, I don't think that Derby team does have the, the sort of player that would on the pitch today would grab the game by the scruff of their neck and go, come on, lads, we need to get back into this and we need to do something. We need to up our levels. Um, a lot of it is the, the sort of player that maybe goes hiding if, if things get a bit tricky uh, and you wouldn't necessarily sort of back in the same way that you would Curtis Davis. So um, I certainly think there's there's need for change at the back. Um, and I think that's been coming over the last sort of few weeks. I know uh, there was a clean sheet against Charlton not, uh, in the previous home game. So it's not like, they're, they're bad players and that's not what we're saying. I just do think that when we're up against a decent side and we've got a couple of good teams that we're going to be playing against in the next few weeks, um, I think it's I think it's worth having a change and trying to get uh, Curtis or if Chester is fit, uh, back into match fitness as well. So uh, Derby's hastily assembled squad from the summer maybe just maybe starting to show one or two signs of, uh, of creaking, of, of weakness, of um, not, you know, maybe being able to... <laughs> be as invincible as we thought they would be uh, about three to four weeks ago. But uh, that squad will hopefully be improved long-term in the next, uh, certainly the next couple of transfer windows, if not more, by an arrival of Mark Thomas Kutch, who is the new head of recruitment. Maybe not the most glamorous signing Derby will make this season. Um, I can't really think of that many heads of recruitments that Derby have had over the years. Chris Evans, that's about all I've got, really. DJ, yeah, the DJ. Yeah, not the DJ, uh, <laughs> or the actor. Um, <laughs> I don't even remember him because of the Albentosa saga as well. Like That's the only reason I remember who he was. But I think this Mark Thomas guy seems to come with a really high reputation. I think um, BBC Derby said that he turned down other projects in League One, turned down Portsmouth, I think, because he was clearly convinced by Warren somehow to come to us. And it must be a coup, right? If we managed to get someone who other League One teams are after, despite the fact that we can't actually spend any money on players still. Like, you know, that must be a real feather in the cap for, for Warren and Klaus and us getting him in the first place. But look, you've done a bit of digging on the sorts of players that uh, Mark Thomas has picked up in the past, haven't you? And he's, he's, he's discovered a few like rough diamonds, hasn't he, over the years? Yeah, quite a few familiar names and quite a, f a couple of names that Derby have been linked with in the past. And uh, I've kind of, yeah, had a look through. He, he joined there, I think, in 2014. I think he's been there for about nine years. And uh, it's 
impossible for us to know exactly how much input he had into each of these individual signings, but these were players who were signed on his watch. Um, so I'll run, I'm going to run through five of them. And um, they're all kind of successful in different ways. Some of them were successful because he sold them for big money. Some of them have gone on to have pretty good careers. So Kemar Roof, he signed for Oxford from West Brom, initially on loan in 2015 before taking him permanently. Roof then scored 24 goals in 56 appearances and Leeds paid 3.5 million for him uh, in 2016. Obviously gone on to make 100 appearances for them and and played at Andlet and Rangers since then. So I think they picked up Roof pretty much on a free because he was let, let go from West Brom's academy. Uh, John Lundstrom, obviously we know him from being a big part of the Sheffield United surge up the divisions. Not the most profitable trade from um, Oxford, but again signed him in, in, in 2015 from the Everton Academy. Uh, he was made captain in his second season at Oxford before being sold Sheffield Wednesday for uh, 560,000. Uh, Rob Dickey, a player I know Tom wanted Derby to sign uh, a few years ago, six foot four centre back. There's a lot of big centre backs that uh, Mark Thomas successfully scouted and signed for Oxford by the looks of it. He's made 100 appearances for QPR since they paid Oxford £2.7 million for him. He was someone that um, Oxford picked up from the Reading. Reading Academy, he'd been at Reading and had a few loan spells that never actually played. I think he might have played one game for Reading uh, before Oxford signed him. And he's become a real you know, top-level centre-back in the Championship. Uh, Luke McNally was another one who uh, Burnley signed from Oxford uh, for 1.85 million. Uh, he made 30 appearances for Oxford after joining them. And then another one which people will probably remember is Shandon Baptiste. I think he would have been one of Thomas's first signings at Oxford, uh, recruited him again from Reading, Reading's Academy in 2015. And he went on to make 26 appearances for Oxford and then sold quite quickly for 2.25 million uh, to Brentford in January 2020. I think he's had some unlucky injuries since then. So that, that's five names and particularly Dickie Lundstrom are all ones that I think most Derby fans will be pretty familiar with uh, and ones that he picked up from, you know, picking them up from other academies and then, flipping them in a year, year and a half, two seasons for, for quite good money for Oxford. That's really interesting, Kutcher. No, great, great research that you've done there. What, one of the things that I really like about that and what we haven't seen at Derby over the last, what, seven or eight years, all these players who signed even for a small fee have then been sold on for a much bigger fee and there's been profit. And that's something that Derby have lacked. And it's that, that sell-on value that you, we need to recognise and realise. And if that's what he can bring um, to the club over the next three, four, five, however long transfer windows, um, and we can buy players in for cheap and then get a good sell-on value, for me, that's a, that's a great signing. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this, uh, how this works out first in the summer. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it, Blake? Like, I guess this is a really positive move for Derby County because for two reasons. Firstly, up until now, we've literally become famous for buying mediocre players for shitloads of money with no resale value. Hopefully, this is absolutely the end of those days. And secondly, look, who knows what division we'll be in in one or two years' time. Might still be League One, might be the Championship. Well, probably going to be one of those two divisions <laughs> being realistic unless things go incredibly well or incredibly badly but it's good to know that whatever division we'll be in tom said it there like we've got the infrastructure in place to to build like incrementally sign players that no one's heard of to make us better and keep club financials in a in a safe position haven't we yeah it's spot on and, and the other night obviously I, I spoke to george thorne briefly and we went through some of the signings during his um during his time at Derby County, and I think obviously while he was at one of his injury spells, there was three managers came and went through the club. So, and he didn't kick a ball. But we, 
he was saying that these players were coming in for these these fees and even the changing room and the dressing room were going what what are we doing signing all these players we don't need them and we've became that we've become that club we became that club sorry and i remember speaking to a football agent a, a few years ago now and say why is derby such a an attractive place um for players to come to and they said it's in the middle of the country You've got brilliant trading facilities, so you could be anywhere in the country and you can get anywhere into most places in two hours. You've got brilliant facilities, you've got a brilliant fan base, a brilliant ground. And I think they're real key things that as a team in League One, that's our USP and that's what we've got as an advantage now for good young players that we can say, come to a good club. We've got brilliant facilities, we've got a brilliant manager. Um, you're in the middle of the country. If you come on loan, it, it, we've got, we're almost the perfect club to come to for a young player who wants to develop and I think that's now we've got to become the club f- until we get back to a, a level we've been on in, in recent years where we we go out and we find these young players and we turn them into a better player if they have to leave because they be, they get to a level where they're too good to be playing in league one or maybe the championship in a season or two seasons and so be it but we have to become that club that uses the amazing uh, set we've got to try and attract these players and and with a brilliant head of recruitment it can only it can only work as a brilliant pairing. Yeah, we'll have to see how it how it plays out, and nothing's guaranteed. Obviously, the fact he's been good also doesn't necessarily mean he's going to pick up you know five great players every window for us. But I think what uh, you know Brentford particularly are the really obvious one. Brighton to a degree they've been backed by more money, but Brentford and Brighton, and particularly Brentford, they've done well because they've scouted really well. And, and Brentford were able to keep reinvesting in their squad because they kept signing players from League One, League Two and non-league and then selling them on for a big profit. And eventually they got to the point where they didn't need to sell straight away because they'd made so much money on transfers. And, you know, no disrespect to Brentford, but if Brentford can do that by being clever, there's no reason why clubs with larger fan bases, larger attraction, like all the things that Blake outlined there, can't do the same thing as well. Just because you are a big fish in a small pond doesn't mean you should be lazy, which is what Derby became in the championship with their recruitment and just throw money at it. Much better to throw money at a proper recruitment department, which is a lot cheaper than throwing money at lots of players who can choose better value players uh, undervalued players perhaps and improve them and then sell them on or they come with you on the journey which Derby would be able to keep you know Oxford sold players because they had to sell them Derby would be in a position where you buy a good player who's maybe underrated he maybe performs really well in League One and you can hold on to him for maybe a, an extra season get you up to the championship or continue with you in the championship so I've always thought this like if you're a, a, a sizable club like Derby in League One of a championship just recruit clever because you don't need to then chuck loads of money away in wages and, and and bloated fees for players who are probably past their best like just box clever and and you'll you'll consistently get into the top six of championship another thing we've got to remember is and we've got a, a depleted academy now because obviously we had to sell what we could because of the position we were in but we've got an academy set up and an academy coaching team who've got an amazing record at developing players, not just players that have come through the academy all the way, players that came in at 16 years old, Jeff Hendrick, Mark O'Brien, Jaden Bogle. We've got a proven record that we can go to to players with and say, we've got, if you're 16, 17, 18, come to Derby County, you've got a real chance of getting into the first team to play in front of 27, 28,000 people every week. But we've also got an under-21 setup that is proven that you will get into the team. There's a, a proven pathway that you can come here, have a brilliant coaching setup and have a brilliant career based on you coming here. 
Yeah, you could be the next Fasti Abbasali and be at Watford's Reserves in two years' time. You know, that's the dream. I'm joking. I'm being I'm being facetious. That's a very good point. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's I felt like we had to end on a positive note because that game at Barnsley was a shit show, but we don't want to bury some good news and some long overdue news that's uh, that's been coming for Derby because I think we have been after someone respected um, and with good experience in this role for literally months, I think, almost as soon as Warren came in. So fingers crossed that he can get working as soon as possible. But uh, yeah, two games then back at Pride Park to help put things right. Keep the faith. Coach, you're going to keep your faith, aren't you? Thanks for joining us again. Always keep the faith, as George Michael says. Did not see that reference coming. Um, <laughs> Blake, thanks for coming on, mate. Appreciate it. I haven't got a George Michael reference, so bye. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Tom. See you again soon, mate. All the best. All the best.